Broadcasting Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A disturbing discovery has been made at a gym on the Lower Mainland, leaving members outraged and some violated. A hidden camera was found in a tanning bed. Catherine Urquhart has more on how it was discovered and why some members are frustrated by the gym's response. Planet Fitness is a popular gym in Chilliwack, but the franchise is now the focus of an RCMP investigation after customers discovered they were being videotaped while using a stand-up tanning machine. Obviously, it's a violation, right? And that's a concern, especially as a woman. It's an invasion of privacy. And I think it's their duty to uh, let people know. I was very shocked because I use the tanning beds quite regularly. The video camera was disguised inside a rubber grommet. These photos snapped by the person who discovered it back in August, Paul Serdar, one of many gym goers impacted by the disturbing discovery. Some learned about the investigation on a local Facebook site. Oh, you can see at that point there was already 586 comments. It's affected a lot of people, not just myself. I have a few friends, so yeah. A few friends that have been to Planet Fitness? Yes, yes. In the tanning beds as well. And now in Canada. Planet Fitness, which is based in the U.S., responded to Global News saying... We can confirm that a recording device was found in one of the tanning beds in our Chilliwack location. It was immediately removed and reported to the RCMP. I feel that they have an obligation to at least tell the members that. Uh, finding out, scrolling through Facebook one morning that this had taken place, my heart just sang. Camilla and others say Planet Fitness has offered no compensation and is charging cancellation fees to those bailing on the gym. Chilliwack RCMP are urging those with information to contact their serious crime section. So far, no one has been charged. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Some scary moments in downtown Vancouver today when a driver lost control, narrowly missing two pedestrians. Take a look, it was all caught on camera. You can see the driver pulling up alongside the vehicle with the camera and then slowly starting to back into a parking space along Hornby. Now, for some reason, the vehicle then accelerates, jumps the curb, hits a barrier in front of the building and flips as two pedestrians scramble to get out of the way, but later trip and fall. Four people were hurt, including two in the vehicle and those two pedestrians. It looks very serious. Uh, and it's something that we don't see every day. Uh, we hope every driver is aware of their surroundings and drives safer. It's a busy area and it is uh, rush hour, just past rush hour in uh, downtown Vancouver. So people have to be aware of their surroundings and understand how fast and the power of their vehicles. The trial for Gabriel Klein, the man accused in a fatal stabbing at an Abbotsford High School, entered day two today. The Crown calling more witnesses who interacted with Klein in the days before the stabbing. Grace Key now on where they encounter the accused and how they describe his mental state. Several people testified that Gabriel Klein told him that he wanted to go back to Alberta, but he didn't have any money and he wanted to contact his mother. He was at the Abbotsford Hospital on October 31st. A security guard says he appeared confused and agitated when she spoke with him. A hospital social worker said he was calm and polite when they spoke and she referred him to a shelter. The defense asking the social worker, was it brought to your attention that there was a concern in the hospital that he was treated and released to 
two days before the stabbing. The social worker saying, I do not recall a conversation like that. An employee at the shelter stated Klein said he was feeling depressed and anxious. She provided him with a map to the Abbotsford Community Library so he could email his mother. We know he was at the library on the 31st, the day before the stabbings, and that library is connected with the Abbotsford Senior Secondary School. Andrea Desjardins, also with the Lookout Shelter, spoke with Klein on the day of the stabbing. When she told Klein his mother didn't want to speak with him on the phone and preferred email, he became verbally aggressive, demanding. He wanted to go back to Alberta, and he didn't understand why he couldn't go back today and why staff couldn't give him the money for a bus ticket. She said it would take a couple of days to get him the funds. He slammed a locker and bathroom door. He then gathered his belongings and left. Now, tomorrow is expected to be an emotional day in the courtroom. That's when we're going to be hearing from several witnesses on the day of the stabbing. In New Westminster, Grace Key, Global News. Some tense moments on SFU's Burnaby campus this afternoon after reports of a man carrying a gun. Burnaby RCMP sent multiple resources, eventually receiving information the suspect was in a classroom near the W.A.C. Bennett Library. RCMP say a 19-year-old man was arrested without incident. At the time, he was wearing a ball cap with an RCMP logo on it, and a replica firearm was located in a bag, allegedly in his possession. So far, no charges have been laid. Port Moody Council is preparing to vote tonight on whether or not Mayor Rob Vagramov should return to his leave of absence while his sexual assault charge is unresolved. Sarah McDonald is live at Port Moody City Hall for us tonight. Sarah, Vagramov returned to work about a month ago, but to a lot of controversy. Sophie, that's right. Never a dull moment, it seems, at Port Moody City Council these days. As you said, the city's mayor, Rob Vagramoff, returning from a leave of absence last month. And now some city councillors say he should stay out of the mayor's office altogether as he faces a criminal charge against him. Tonight, council is expected to hear a motion asking Vagramoff to return to an unpaid leave of absence until that sexual assault charge he is facing is resolved before the court. And that motion also asks for Vagramoff to resign if he is not exonerated of that charge against him. City Councilor Diana Dilworth is tabling that motion this evening. She says she has heard from hundreds of constituents in the city of Port Moody who support it. And what I've done is I've gone out and I've asked residents, are you comfortable with the mayor being on council? I've now heard from over 200 of those residents that have said I'm not comfortable with him sitting in his desk until such time as his legal issues are resolved. So I've got 200 pieces of correspondence backing up my motion and I, I expect to see um, dozens if not hundreds of people down here at the meeting tonight. Uh, as she mentioned, Sarah, lots of people expected at the meeting, but both in support of and against the mayor. That's right, and as you just heard, we are expecting a full house tonight as that council meeting gets underway. Both critics and supporters of Mayor Rob Vagramoff expected to be here. And we should note that Vagramoff will not be compelled to resign or to step aside, even if council votes in favor of that motion. Sophie, he will be back in court to face that criminal charge against him next month. All right, thanks for that. Sarah McDonald reporting at Port Moody City Hall. Vancouver police made several arrests last night in connection to that climate change protest that shut down the Burrard Street Bridge all day. Inspire and renew. I choose life. I choose life. For life. 
About 250 people shut down the bridge for approximately 13 hours yesterday. Shortly after 9 p.m., protesters began to disperse from the bridge, but a small group refused to leave. After a number of warnings, police say they were forced to arrest 10 people for obstruction of justice. The span eventually reopened around 11 o'clock. Our deployment levels and how we uh, deploy our officers is different and every situation merits its own response. Our officers decided to allow this protest to happen, which it did peacefully for the most part of the day. And at the end of the day, we did have to make some arrests as they did refuse to leave the bridge. Well, they have long been banned in B.C., but the province is now looking to open the roads to the use of e-scooters, segways, and other similar modes of transportation. As Richard Zussman reports, a key part is learning from the mistakes of others. They are made in British Columbia, but not allowed out in public. That may soon change. I know that there's a huge appetite for them. I know that uh, different communities want to use them in different ways. The provincial government has introduced legislation to allow e-scooters to operate. That could include pilot projects for pick-up and drop-off scooter services. Calgary just wrapped up a summer where e-scooters were allowed on sidewalks, bike lanes, but not on the road. But the decision will be up to each BC municipality on where to allow segways, motorized unicycles, e-scooters and hoverboards. We're working on our regulations. We will apply for a pilot project. One of the criticisms of Calgary's pilot project was that e-scooters and pedestrians don't mix. And with the e-scooters allowed on sidewalks and pedestrians there, BC municipalities in the city of Victoria may consider doing something a little different. We can learn from their best practices and make sure that our regulations uh, are put in place in such a way that don't create the conflicts that we've seen in other places. So I don't think scooters would be allowed on sidewalks, just like skateboards aren't allowed on sidewalks. The other challenge with e-scooters is where they are left when the ride is done. These tourists are from Austria where they have an innovative solution. They actually had laws where you can call up the city and say, hey, there's a scooter somewhere, please get rid of it. And then the company, or Vienna calls the company and they've got half an hour or so to get rid of the scooters. But Urban Makina, a company producing scooters, is opposed to the pickup drop-off model, instead hoping Vancouver will use these new rules to allow people to ride their own scooters. Vancouver has the infrastructure for these scooters to be ridden on bike lanes. They're all over the city, so definitely something to explore. For now, both Surrey and Vancouver are not yet looking at pilots, mainly over safety concerns. Excuse me, excuse me. Oh, Meaning you could wait a while for a scoot on the seawall. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, following last night's federal debate where NDP leader Jagmeet Singh did very well by all accounts, the NDP has brought in ex-MP Nathan Cullen, a former star from their caucus, to shore up their hold on southern Vancouver Island ridings. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on why the party is doing this and how it's a strategic move, Keith, involving the Greens. Yeah, it's a strategic move and a bit of a desperate one because the NDP, of course, very strong in southern Vancouver Island. They're clearly hoping they get a bounce because of Jagmeet Singh's impressive performance last night on that debate. First time a lot of people saw him. Uh, to give you an indication of what I'm talking about, the writings in play here are ones that both the NDP and the federal liberals agree the Greens are showing very high levels of strength in polling. And we're talking the south uh, ones from Nanaimo down to Victoria, Esquimalt, Saanich Souk, Cowich and Malahat, Langford, Saanich Gulf Islands. Of course, the Greens hold two of those 
won from a by-election a couple years back, uh, but the NDP clearly sensing trouble here. So they brought Nathan Cullen in, and they're changing their messaging, not so much talking about Trudeau and Scheer uh, anymore, at, at least along different lines when it comes to Scheer, trying to tie the Greens to Andrew Scheer. A vote for the Greens is a vote for the Conservatives. Here's Nathan Cullen. Sometimes people talk about strategic voting. I think this is about an educated vote. That if I look through all of the battles that we've had on Vancouver Island and a lot of West Coast ridings, it's a blue-orange back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Liberals are down and Greens further down than that. The reality is the best way to stop a sheer government is voting NDP. Now, starting this week, uh, this leaflet is about to, obviously it's going to be in colors. I don't have a color printer, but this leaflet is attacking the Greens. It's arriving in South uh, Vancouver Island homes sent by the NDP, uh, pointing out to people from their view that uh, the Greens do not share New Democrats' values, and they try to tie uh, criticism to Elizabeth May, the federal Green leader, on the issues of abortion and on the party holding conservative values. So the gloves are are off uh, big time, Sophie. The NDP feeling the heat on South Vancouver Island. They're going to throw everything into beating back what appears to be a green tide. Should be interesting come election night, and we will get you a color printer. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. Right now, though, fresh controversy tonight over a new plan for a major redevelopment involving a prime piece of real estate in Vancouver. The rezoning application involves a parcel of land at Broadway and Commercial. Aaron MacArthur tells us why supporters feel the plan makes sense, while critics fear its size and density. Here... On the You Are Here map is Commercial and Broadway. A Safeway and an asphalt parking lot could soon be home to three massive towers. 500 plus condos, 160 rental units, plus retail. Reaction to the proposal is mixed. If it's affordable housing, sure, but if it's just to sort of pad the stats, then I don't know if it's really necessary. I think it needs the housing, but I don't know if this is going to necessarily be like the housing that like my like demographic and affords. Vancouver definitely needs more housing. This is not the first crack at redeveloping the Safeway land. Housing advocates call this project must build. The confluence of two SkyTrain lines and the busiest bus route in Canada or the U.S. Tens of thousands of people are on the street here every day. And there isn't a building taller than four stories. I think this project kind of has something for everybody. You know, it's got like Uh, Some rental housing, it's got some below market housing, it's got condos, and then there's just a ton of public amenities that I really like. There's a nice um, public plaza, a new Safeway, some daycare. So I think it is going to improve the neighborhood in a lot of ways. Community opposition to density, well documented. Recent projects ultimately approved on Clark Drive and at Grant Street generated fierce opposition. This site will be no different. The Grandview Woodland Advisory Council has already listed scale and height, the size of the plaza and public access, as well as the effect on the neighbourhood as potential issues with the project. I think there's a lot of people who live in the neighbourhood and don't really want it to change, which I can understand, but at the same time it's commercial and Broadway. Two SkyTrain lines, something's got to give. The project will appear before council, expected to hit the agenda later this fall. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An update for students at Emily Carr University. Classes are now cancelled until after Thanksgiving. The extended closure comes as the school works to clean up and repair damages after a suspected arson over the weekend. The fire broke out on the fourth floor of the building early Saturday morning. The school now says it expects to reopen October 15th. However, some classes will still need to be temporarily relocated. 
Striking hotel workers in downtown Vancouver have been given a financial shot in the arm, but not from their employers. Ted Trenecki tells us how a multi-million dollar interest-free loan might affect the long-running job action. You'd have to have been almost deaf to not have heard the noise coming from the streets outside four of Vancouver's biggest hotels. It was so loud the employer went to court and succeeded in getting striking workers to tone it down. But that hasn't dissuaded protesters. In fact, things heated up significantly today with BCGU weighing in with a $3 million interest-free loan. We know strikes are costly and should Unite here need that money, it will be available to them to support those picket lines. 1,200 workers have been on strike for almost three weeks, demanding better wages, a safer workplace, free from discrimination and sexual harassment from both managers and customers, who the union claims happens repeatedly. For our members to really be prepared to win a quality contract to make these jobs significantly better, uh, this is really about uh, staying one day longer. It's not as if the employers haven't been trying. In a statement, the Rosewood Hotel Georgia says it put forward a contract weeks ago that exceeded the union's original proposal for workplace safety. A 17% rise in pay over four years and the administration of a banned guest list, among other things. The offer was rejected. Your members work for one of the top industries in um, the city and it's record profit. Our members uh, with the level of service are really expecting that the industry do better and do right by them. There'll be more heat tomorrow as the BC Federation of Labour will call for a relatively rare public boycott of the Hyatt Regency, the Pinnacle Harbour Front, the Western Bay Shore and the Rosewood Hotel Georgia. We're trying to apply pressure to get back, address the workers' issues at the bargaining table and get everybody back to work. The good news for everyone concerned is that both sides have resumed negotiating. Ted Chernacki, Global News. A new type of playground is now ready to welcome children in Surrey. Can I come in? Can we go fast? Hey, let's not do this too long. <laughs> the new inclusive kids attraction at Unwin Park has 12,000 square feet of play space, making it the largest playground in the city. Its design allows all kids, including those in wheelchairs, to use the playground. Among the features are rubber flooring to cushion hard falls, a quiet dome for those who need to get away from the noise, and a rubber-lined slide to prevent static for those wearing hearing aids. This is so exciting and I'm just imagining what little Stephanie would have been like in a playground like this and I really could have used something like this growing up. A place where a child who has a different type of a body, you know, doesn't feel like they stand out. There are so many kids here, some with disability, some without disability, all different types of kids and ability levels and they're playing together as if it's no big deal. And we know this is a really big deal, but the best part is that these kids just think it's normal. The playground is a collaboration between the city of Surrey and Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities and took only three months to build. The federal party leaders were back on the campaign trail today, all of them hoping to capitalize on whatever momentum they might have gained from last night's debate, including the man many believe came off the best. Abigail Beeman reports. I live in crippling fear of the rental market. New Democrat leader Jagmeet Singh started his day with young people in Toronto. I'm going to choose not to go out. I'm going to choose not to take a vacation. He promised to save the influential voting bloc thousands of dollars on things like rent, student debt and cell phone bills. Singh had some of the strongest lines in Monday's debate. You do not need to choose between Mr. Delay and Mr. Deny. 
So Global News asked the NDP leader whether he's frustrated strong debate performances haven't yet translated to a boost at the polls. I'm frustrated that Canadians have to choose between a person that believes in delaying or a person that believes in denying. I mean, I don't think people have to make that choice. And I really want to send the message to Canadians. You know, you're free to choose. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer wasn't far away, talking transit just north of Toronto, part of the key 905 suburban battleground between Liberals and Conservatives. That means a new Conservative government will work with the provincial government to get shovels in the ground. Scheer promised to help fund two major transit projects, a rapid transit line and a subway line connecting suburbs to Toronto, with an estimated price tag of $16.5 billion. We'll work in close partnership with Indigenous peoples. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau headed north to Iqaluit. It was here in August. The Liberals announced they surpassed their goal for oceans protection. On Tuesday, Trudeau repeated his promise to do more if re-elected. We'll go even further to protect the environment will conserve even more of our land and water. So less than two weeks now until Election Day, and this week is likely to be a quieter one in terms of public events for all the parties as the federal leaders prepare to face off for the last time at the French debate on Thursday. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Some ominous news tonight for one of the high-profile actors caught up in the U.S. college admissions scandal. As two more parents are sent to prison, a U.S. attorney says he'll be asking for a tougher sentence for Lori Loughlin than what was given to actress Felicity Huffman. With two more parents, Greg and Marsha Abbott, each sentenced to a month in prison today, the federal prosecutor in the nation's largest college entrance cheating scandal is breaking his silence about the two highest-profile defendants. One of the things we look to is how much money was involved. In a rare interview with dozens of cases still open, U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling tells WCVB in Boston, Felicity Huffman, who pleaded guilty to fraud and paying $15,000 to rig her daughter's SAT scores without her knowledge, may have been the least culpable parent. She took responsibility almost immediately. Uh, she was contrite, did not try to minimize her conduct, I think she handled it in a very classy way. With Huffman sentenced to two weeks in prison, Lelling seemed to send a warning to Lori Lachlan, who's pleaded not guilty and whose demeanor at times was starkly different than Huffman's. And we would probably ask for a higher sentence for her than we did for Felicity Huffman. I can't tell you exactly what that would be. The longer the case goes, we'd be asking for something substantially higher. Tonight, with Lachlan's case headed to trial, she and her husband face decades behind bars if convicted. A true-life Hollywood thriller with its dramatic ending still to come. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Lego is looking to make its contribution to environmental responsibility by giving people a way to recycle its products. The toy maker is testing options for customers to ship back their unwanted Lego pieces. Customers will be able to print out a mailing label from Lego's website, but the unused bricks in a box uh, put the unused bricks in a box and mail them for free. The company will clean the bricks and give them to a charitable organization, which will donate them to classrooms. A well-known brand of whiskey is experimenting with an unusual new product. The Glenlivet has come out with edible capsules, or drinkable capsules, if you will, filled with its 195-year-old Scotch whiskey. The pods are made of seaweed and contain 23 milliliters of Glenlivet in three flavors. We won't be able to try them here 
They're only available at one London bar during London Cocktail Week, which ends on Sunday. In Health Matters tonight, shining a spotlight on a potentially deadly condition most people don't think much about. In some countries, blood clots kill more people than AIDS, breast cancer, prostate cancer and car crashes combined. Linda Aylesworth tells us how to recognize symptoms and get timely treatment that could be the difference between life and death. Most of us are aware that blood clots can cause heart attacks and strokes, but they're responsible for other life-threatening conditions as well. And the blood clots that form in the leg, or deep vein thrombosis, and the blood clots that fly off to the lung, which we know as pulmonary embolism, are the ones that are probably the least recognized of the, of the blood clot conditions. The vast majority of Canadians have no idea what the symptoms of such conditions are, which is why too often valuable time is lost, as are the chances for a full recovery. One in four deaths in Canada are related to blood uh, clot conditions. 100,000 Canadians develop blood clots and 10,000 die from them. Harpreet Chahan had an advantage when she developed deep vein thrombosis in her leg following surgery. I was wearing a boot or a cast and it started to swell quite a bit and then it became quite painful. I knew I had to get treatment. I, I thought it was a blood clot. She knew that because she's a doctor. After treatment in the emergency department, she was sent to the thrombosis clinic at St. Paul's Hospital. This gray matter that shows us that there is a blood clot in the lung. Their goal, not just to treat thrombosis patients, but to raise awareness about symptoms. So chest pain, shortness of breath, um, lightheadedness, which is the symptoms of blood clot in the lung. On the 9th, they're hosting education sessions at St. Paul's Hospital. Knowing about blood clots means that you can identify them much faster and get treatment for them much faster because the longer you wait, the more likely it is that the clot will grow. And especially blood clots in the lung are quite worrisome because they can be fatal. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And you can find more information on the St. Paul's Hospital public information sessions on Wednesday night on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Up next, the NBA hoping to rebound its reputation. So many people are upset, including millions and millions of our fans. How a simple tweet set off the Chinese government with big money at stake. Also ahead, Secretariat goes for a ride, the new statue honoring one of the world's greatest racehorses. Well, it could turn out to be the most costly tweet in history. The NBA stands to lose billions of dollars in a dispute with China that began with a Twitter post by the general manager of one team. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver is playing defense after a controversial tweet from a team executive prompted major backlash in China. The tweet from the general manager of the Houston Rockets, which was quickly deleted, voiced support for protesters in Hong Kong. I don't think it's inconsistent on one hand um, to, to be sympathetic to them and, and at the same time stand by our principles. The Rockets have been a favorite team in China since superstar Yao Ming joined the franchise in 2002. He's now the president of the Chinese Basketball Association and has suspended the league's relationship with the Rockets as Beijing calls for an outright boycott. This fan said his remarks didn't take our feelings into consideration. It's not what he should do, so we are very angry. Rockets superstar James Harden is trying to speak.
smooth things over. We appreciate the support that they give us individually and as an organization. So, uh, you know, we love you. Many fans in the U.S. say the NBA should not apologize for standing up for human rights. But the league isn't the first American corporation to give in to China after facing criticism over political differences. Companies like Mercedes-Benz, Marriott and The Gap have landed in trouble with the communist nation in recent years. Last summer, America's three largest airlines all caved to China's demands to stop referring to Taiwan as its own country. When the Chinese government is offended, they will use their considerable financial might. The league's commissioner will meet with officials in China this week, hoping to put the controversy on the bench. Chris Martinez, CBS News, Los Angeles. Well, how today's announcement of the Nobel Prize for Physics included a shout out to a Canadian rock band. That's right after the forecast. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at that forecast and we have another beautiful sunset, Christy. Yes, after we saw downpours of rain today, a bit of hail as well. Yes, this is the scene out there right now. Uh, you'll note that the clouds there are pink and we're seeing pink clouds over Burnaby also. So enjoy the sunset. We're in for sunshine for the next few days, but it's the temperatures that you have to worry about. I'm going to show you those in a second. First, though, the snowfall today. Uh, looking out from Chilliwack, Laura sending this. this uh, this uh, mountaintop is about 2,000 meters, so you can see where the snow uh, landed. We did have a little bit of snow, by the way, also on Grouse Mountain, but it was brief and it melted fairly quickly. Uh, Logan Lake at about 1,000 meters also saw significant snow, and certainly our mountain passes, uh, Okanagan Connector getting it just most recently. But there were downbursts of snowfall, just as we saw across the south coast, downbursts of rain and hail. That's what they saw across the mountain passes, and that's all because of a cold front in and behind that, we get a lot of instability. Now, that is going to shift out overnight as we start to see the strong northerly flow uh, clear the skies out, but also drop the temperatures. Here's a look at your lows for overnight tonight. On the right, the wind chill. On the left, your lows. So, minus 12 with the wind chill in Williams Lake, Prince George, and Fort St. John. Most areas below freezing in the interior. It's just the south coast that will reach two or three degrees for Metro Vancouver, so we likely could see some frost. And it's a good time to remind you, not only are you required to have uh, snow tires if you're traveling the mountain passes as of October 1st, but it's also recommended that anytime you have a temperature below seven degrees that you have snow tires. So you may want to make that appointment to change over your tires. Here's a look at your northern regions for tomorrow. So sunshine along with the cold. These are your daytime highs, only four to six degrees for the Okanagan Valley and for our region, anywhere from 10 to 12 degrees for our region. So below seasonal, that's for sure. We finally warm up a little bit as we head towards Friday. Still lots of sunshine, though, throughout the week, which will be nice. Sunglass weather, but you'll need your parka. And a great shot from White Rock. Thanks to Elisa for that one. And right. feed the birds there. Well done. Thank you, Christy. Well, it's not often a Canadian rock band gets a shout-out at the Nobel Prize announcements. But that's what happened today as the Nobel Academy revealed the winners for the physics prize. One Academy member began his speech with something that sounded familiar. The whole universe was in a hot, dense state. Then nearly 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Wait, was that? Yes, it was. And it was deliberate. Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state that nearly 14 billion years ago expansion started. Wait, 
The Academy member quoting the theme song from The Big Bang Theory, written and recorded by the Bare Naked Ladies. An even more important Canadian connection, though, one of the co-winners of this year's prize in physics is Canadian-born scientist James Peebles. Now at Princeton, Peebles is being recognized for contributing to the understanding of the evolution of our universe and Earth's place in the cosmos. Can you was tell by the look on my face? Like, I don't understand it. <laughs> Not really it, sure it, what that all, meant. But congratulations. <laughs> I thought you were going to break into some Neil deGrasse Tyson. And Quite a sight on an Oklahoma hey. highway. Secretariat. It's Secretariat, one of the greatest racehorses of all time, or at least a statue. Um, depicting Secretariat. It's been moved to its new home. It's 13 feet tall, 4,000 pounds. And uh, Secretariat and jockey Ron Turcott will stand at a traffic circle in Kentucky. Ron Turcott was a Canadian. Oh, I didn't Secretariat's know Secretariat's trainer was also a Canadian. Really? There's a lot of, a Canadian, lot of Canadian content with Secretariat. It's way back in 1973. Fulfills when he, the CRTC regulations. Yes, then. it does, actually. In fact, you could bring it here, <laughs> the statue. Uh, to jumpstart the offense for the home opener against L.A. tomorrow night, the Vancouver Canucks have moved Michael Furlan off the top line and moved J.T. Miller up to play with Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson. Furlan will fall to line number three. The second line tomorrow will probably start off as Horvat with Tanner Pearson and Josh Levo. Now, the Canucks are hoping that J.T. Miller will help get Besser and Pedersen going. Both haven't scored yet. I know it's only two games into the season, but Pedersen, as you heard before the break, started much faster last year. Heading into the Canucks' home opener, Elias Pedersen was frank about his play to start the season. The NHL's Rookie of the Year has high expectations for himself, and going pointless with just three shots on goal through the Canucks' opening two games doesn't cut it in Petey's playbook. I think for me, I haven't played, uh, kind of played slow. I haven't made, played the fast hockey that I want to, like fast decisions, uh, uh, make plays fast and uh, always, so that's my main goal for next game to always try to play fast and be ahead of everyone. We all know Pedersen is going to get his points this season, but it won't be easy. Last year he took the league by storm. This time around, every NHL team is more than familiar with his world-class skill. Good players in the league get respect, and much like when we prep for other teams, we're, we're talking about their lineup and talking about how to defend against certain players, and I'm sure it's no different with him. Well, I think that probably started at some point last year as well, though. And uh, any good offensive player in the league goes through that. Pedersen spent the entire offseason getting quicker and stronger. This to prepare him for the rigors of teams keying in on him for a full 82 games. It's something he got a taste of three quarters of the way through last season. His last true even strength goal came back in January at home against the Wings. Including their two games to start this campaign, that's 34 games without a five-on-five -five goal. Well, now they know who I am. Uh, they know what I'm capable of, so I think they're, I don't know, maybe putting more focus on me, so, but then it's up to me to come up with, I don't know, new ways or just beat them, to be honest, and I feel like I haven't done that these first two games, uh, like I said in earlier question that I've been playing too slow, been thinking too much, so, so hopefully I can play, play better tomorrow and play fast. Uniforms designed by Mrs. Smith's kindergarten class. 
Those are not good. Islanders and Oilers. Last year for Calgary, James Neal, I think, scored six goals in 63 games. No, seven goals in 63 games. In three games with the Oilers, he has six. Four of them tonight. This is number two. They made it 2-1 on a power play. He now has three. This will be four. James Neal for Milan Lucic. So far, a pretty good trade for the Oilers. Jets and Penguins. Sidney Crosby. Gets in the action, gets on the score sheet in the first minute. 32 seconds in, it's 1-0 for Pittsburgh. But the Jets would rally quickly. Vili Hainola, his very first NHL goal. That made a 1-1. And then Nick Ehlers, who's off to a good start this year. Watch him just jump in here and steal the puck right there. And 4-1 final. Winnipeg beats Pittsburgh. Canada and South Africa, you knew this one was going to be lopsided for the South Africans. And they did not disappoint at the World Cup of Rugby. Kobus Reinach gets this one and then basically kicks it to himself. Fortunate bounce. That's a try. Sort of like in the New Zealand game. South Africa ran away from Canada very early on. Little cross kick pass. Warren Gallant running and running and running and eventually it ends up back in the guy we saw score earlier. Kobus Reinach again with a try. Canada would get one. Matt Heaton after Jeff Hasser almost got in but this was lopsided all the way for South Africa, but Canada does have a chance to at least win one game at this tournament. They next play Namibia, another team that has struggled in this group. Justin Verlander on only three days rest, Houston and Tampa Bay. Tommy Pham goes bam. That's a solo shot, one nothing. Hey look, there's actually fans in Tampa Bay. Uh, Travis Darnot will score G-Man Choi. Good first inning. For Tampa, at last check, they're up 4-0 in the sixth on Houston. Are there not usually fans in Tampa Bay? No. Oh. They have a lot of empty seats there. Okay. All right. A lot of Got empty seats. Got to drum up support. The dogs, this way, the dogs of Global, Walter, Archie, Ripley, and Daisy. They're so cute. And we have them here because it's time to fire up the dogs or cats debate again. A University of Toronto study says owning a dog can extend your life, especially when it comes to heart health. Kylie Stanton has the details. Watch this and try not to smile. Some are talented, others hilarious. But above all, I love you. Dogs are full of love. I love you. I love you. Just ask any owner. Come on. And they'll tell you how their furry friends have captured their heart. She's friendly. She loves everything, everyone. He's um, smart, gentle. She brings us lots of joy. But according to a new study, dogs are also good for the heart, <laughs> with owners expected to live longer, protected against cardiovascular mortality. Pulled together the results of previous 10 studies on this topic, uh, and we actually reinforce uh, the idea. Uh, that having dogs may be uh, beneficial in terms of mortality and cardiovascular health. 
Researchers found that compared to non-owners, dog owners experienced a 24% reduced risk of all-cause mortality, a 65% reduced risk of mortality after heart attack, and a 31% reduced risk of mortality due to cardiovascular-related issues. Yeah, well, of course, you're always walking around, you're always fresh air. Not surprising at all to those here who can attest to an increase in physical activity, decreased depression, and loneliness. It makes such a huge difference just to be forced to go out every day, have somebody make you go out rain or shine no matter what. There's nothing more therapeutic. While the results are promising, researchers warn more work needs to be done in order to actually prove there are health benefits to having a dog. To really have this answer, we would need a randomized clinical trial, so we have to be cautious about this result, but it still uh, it reinforces the idea that having a dog is very, is, can be beneficial. At the very least, they're bound to make you smile. Smile. And what better way? Twirl. To make your heart happy. Every day for them is a good day. Yeah. Kylie Stanton, Global News. We should do a cat study. I also remember once a study saying that if you have fish, and if you watch the fish, it calms you and helps your heart, too. Much less work, too. (laughs) That's a good point, also. (laughs) Oh, look at that sunset. Great way to end the show. Have a good evening, everyone.